Father in heaven, we come into your presence with thanksgiving. You are such a great God. And we have such a wonderful Savior. And I pray now as we're gathered in this place that you would quiet our hearts, that your spirit would continue his ministry in our midst, lifting our hearts to you and opening our eyes to you. May you take your word and by your spirit really burn it into our minds and hearts so that we're changed. So that because we've been together and heard from you, we go from this place prepared and equipped to serve in your kingdom. And Father, I thank you for each one who ministers here. I thank you for the blessing of our musicians and so many that participate to make this happen. And I pray that you would be gracious to each one. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, brave crowd. Glad to see that some made it through the snow this morning. I was uh, impressed, and I was telling somebody that I thought it was really good that he was here, and he said, well, I'm a mailman. I have to go do this every day. And he realized, well, that's true. You've probably seen worse days than today. But anyway, I am glad that you're here. Glad for us to enter into this uh, study of 2 Timothy together. I was reading recently a book my wife picked up um, on Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and his account of all these people that he studied their life in prison. And he had a first-hand account of that because he spent years and years in prison himself, interviewed over 200 people, studied their memoirs and their letters, and the things that he reveals is sort of the human side of what history tells us. History tells us Stalin and the Russian regime imprisoned tens of millions of people. And that's like a number that goes over our head. But when he starts naming names and telling stories of how desperate they were and how difficult it was and how it ripped their families apart. And almost all of these people were people who were arrested as political prisoners. That's to say, they didn't do anything wrong. They didn't actually break the law. It was an unjust thing that they arrested. And he describes what it was like when they arrested. Very, very few protested. Because these people would come in the middle of the night. They had all kinds of things worked out about how to scare them into silence. And they would have them tiptoeing out of their apartment at night so they wouldn't wake anybody up on their way to be arrested and lost in the system. And part of the reason I'm telling you that is because Paul, the writer of this letter, is writing from prison. And we have to get a little bit of a sense, what was that like? He'd been in prison before for the gospel. In this case, though... Uh, instead of being in a prison where he had a lot of freedom and he could teach and preach and write and have people come and he could minister, he had a very effective time in the Roman prison the first time. This time, he's in the dungeon. He is chained as a common criminal. There's no respect. There's no uh, hope, really, of his situation changing. In fact, as he writes this letter, basically said, these are my last days. This is my last will and testament. And he's writing from that position to Timothy. Timothy was this beloved son of his, not a birth son, but someone who he had spent years with and ministered with and poured himself into, and then sent Timothy to be his representative in Ephesus to face all these really messy church problems. And they were really messy. People were teaching false teaching. People were doing things that were destroying people's faith. Other people were leading people in a pattern of behavior that was just splitting the church and causing problems. So Timothy was there, and Paul's writing from jail. And Paul, who had given his whole life for the gospel, he's explaining these things to Timothy. And he gives this affectionate start, and then in verse 1, chapter 8, he says this. So, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering 
for the gospel by the power of God. So Timothy, yes, I'm in chains. Yes, it looks dismal. Yes, it looks like the Roman Empire is lifting its ugly head and it's going to crush those who are followers of Christ. But Timothy, don't back off. Timothy, do not quit. Don't even think about it. Because the kingdom of God is secure because of who Christ is. Don't be ashamed of me because I'm in jail. Don't be ashamed of Christ, but testify to him. Chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I'm not telling you, Timothy, to find a do-it-yourself way to exercise these heavy duties I've given you. Instead, I'm telling you to embrace the love and the presence and the power of Christ in your life. Be strong in his grace. He goes on to say the best way to do this, Timothy, is to take this precious gospel message I've given you, entrust it to others who will also entrust it to others. I don't know if that sounds like a master plan to you, but it did actually turn the world upside down. It was a great scheme. And so that's what word he gave to Timothy. And then he goes on, chapter 3, verse 14. Again, this concern, this nagging fear, perhaps this anxiety that Paul had. Timothy's a little bit weak. You know, I've put all my apples in his basket, and he's there as my ambassador. He speaks with my power and my authority. But, uh, you know, sometimes he gets a little timid. And so again he says, verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it. Continue, Timothy. Again, do not quit. And that's the background for our passage today when we get into chapter 4 and verse 1. And I just want to take this first verse by itself. Today, a couple of coaches are going to give some big speeches here in a few hours. And they're going to try to rally the troops. They're going to try to think of every story they can think of and every person they can say, hey, think about this person, what sacrifice they made for you, what your parents did to get you here, what other teammates who have been injured and can't even be here. Think about all those things and anything else they can think about to get them really fired up about what is technically and really a game. And it will be over by the end of today. And that's the way that is. But they all give a big pumping speech. So here's Paul chained. And he's writing to Timothy about something that's eternally important. And now he's giving him his, fast, his last speech to get him really pumped up to not quit. And this is how he starts his speech. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Doesn't get any higher than that. You can't play any bigger trump cards than what Paul's playing from jail. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus. Timothy, lift your head and be in the presence of our God. And in his presence, take this charge for me. It's not just about us. It's not just about warm, fuzzy feelings and whether we had some good times together when we were camping here and traveling there and doing our missionary work. No, it's this appeal to go right into God's presence. And church, that's what we need to be reminded of too. When you wonder, should we quit? Are we tired of exercising our faith diligently in things? Well, it starts with getting our focus on God and off of ourselves. It is a critical step to us making progress in our faith and us being used of God. So this fits for us too. And then he says, in view of the kingdom and in view of God's judgment and in view of the return of Christ... So this is basically saying, Timothy, it can be pretty tough over there in Ephesus, but think eternal things. Realize this too shall pass. Realize Jesus is coming back to judge. And everyone who's been faithful, 
He will judge them and reward them for their faithfulness. And realize that those people who are trying to cause so much problems and so much pain and so much destruction, they will be judged. Christ will rule. Count on it, Timothy. Focus on that. Think eternally. And church, uh, people like Randy Alcorn and many other authors, I think of Johnny Erickson with her suffering, have said, you know, when we suffer, one of the good things is it reminds us to think about eternity and to focus on those things that will last forever. And we are so prone to just think about the here and now. And so this call that he gave to Timothy is good for us. We need an eternal focus if we're going to be useful to God. And if we were to deal with hearts, our hearts, the pain in your heart, the anxiety in your heart, the struggles in your heart, God wants to direct you to look at Christ and to think of those eternal things as big medicine for our struggles. So then verse 2, he goes on to say, this is a charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers so to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So this word was written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy the preacher. And everybody sitting here who doesn't count themselves as a preacher might think, hey, I can get off the hook here. The sermon quits being about me now. It's about people that are preachers. Well, there's a special word for preachers here, something that should really sober us, and give us a sense of the responsibility we have. But there's a word for every one of you, because you are all ministers, if you're in the body of Christ. God has given you gifts. He has an intention to use you for good. And whether you're faithful or not makes a big and eternal difference. So this word that Paul gives to Timothy does fit for us. And it starts with preach the word. So what should pastors do? I need to know if I just come up here and try to think, oh, I've got to do a good sermon today because I want people to say at the end they were impressed with that sermon. And I hope I can make it sound clever enough and maybe funny or whatever so that you like what you hear. Then we're both in trouble. It's not good for me and it's not good for you. But if I understand my privilege and my responsibility is to open God's word, the eternal word, the God-breathed word we studied last week that brings life, brings hope, tells us the truth when the world keeps confusing us with lies. That's my job, and that's our job as a church to say we want our worship centered in the word. Both those who listen and those who speak must be centered in the word. But so should every aspect of your ministry, whatever it is. If you have the ministry of generosity or helps or encouragement, whatever you do, it should be grounded in the word of God and the principles of his kingdom and not just in your own whims and interests. So that's a crucial step. But there's some other points to learn here that I think relate to us, whatever your ministry is. Paul tells Timothy to do this in season and out of season. This is a a situation when we recruit somebody for a new ministry. Would you help in the cafe? Would you help with the youth department? Most of us start things with enthusiasm. Oh, that'll be fun. I'd like to do that. I, I bet that would be enjoyable. But there comes a time in our ministry season when the fun is gone. And the question is then, why bother? Why keep on? What's the point? And basically... Paul's saying, Timothy, the way this works is you've got to be faithful in season when everything's going well and you're seeing the fruit and people are responding to you and out of season when it's hard and you don't see response and you don't see fruit. You keep your eyes on Christ, Timothy. You keep enduring, Timothy. You keep persevering, Timothy, because that's what it means to be a faithful minister of God in season, out of season. 
And he also says some hard things. You know, a lot of us like certain ministries that we can have in someone's life if it pleases them. But he tells Timothy, you've got to do the hard part as well as the easy part. The hard part in this case can be for someone like Timothy, who I don't think he was big on confrontation. I mean, I think he didn't like to go there. Why else was it suggested that he had a problem with timidity? Except for the fact that this wasn't like what he wanted to do. But Paul says, you've got to correct and rebuke. You've got to get in people's faces sometimes, Timothy, with the truth of God's word and by the power of his spirit and speak the truth in love even when the fun is gone. That's part of what you have to do. And every one of us has to be willing to exercise ministry, not out of anger, not out of our flesh, not because we say, yeah, actually, I kind of like hurting people. That's not a good thing if you do that. But to say, you know what, I've got to minister truthfully and in a kingdom way even when people don't give me strokes for doing it. I've got to be found faithful. It's how the kingdom of God and the body of Christ really grows to maturity. And so this is the call. Correct and rebuke. And some of the words, you know, we talk about Ephesians where we're told to speak the truth in love. That means I need to tell you sometimes in love, which is a goal that you will get better and more mature and richer in Christ, the truth. And maybe the truth is something in your life that needs a little bit of iron sharpening iron. Maybe it's something like Gossip or complaining or some issue that actually isn't helping you. It's not helping the body. Maybe I just need to remind you, you know, all of our conversations, I'm not hearing you honor God. I'm not hearing anything that's thankful. And I need to encourage you, maybe even rebuke you so that you will direct your heart to the pattern that God's word sets for you, for your spiritual health and well-being and for the good of our church. Those are the kind of things that we need to speak. I will say... Timothy also was encouraged to be an encourager. And we probably do too little of that around here at Christ Church. We need to encourage one another. And I want to share a couple of things that have encouraged me just for the purpose of encouraging you this morning as a member here at Christ Church. I have a privileged job, no doubt about it. And I get to see and hear a lot of stories that you guys don't always get in on. And I just want to share a few things that I see. For one, and this Sunday is no different than so many others, I see people ministering to one another in powerful ways. Words of encouragement. Sometimes just a listening ear. People stopping to pray with somebody just to be the spirit of Christ with them in that moment. And that happens quite often here at Christ Church. And I'm encouraged when I see it. And I know the spirit of God is at work when that happens. It's a good thing. Just a couple of other examples. I happen to be privileged to have some small group experience. I'm in a small group with my wife. We have a mixed small group. She's in a small group with women. Uh, Over Christmas, we visited a different small group just to join them for their Christmas party. We got invited. And this group was great. They were saying how focused they were on being a blessing to each other and being thankful. Even though there's other stuff, there would have been things that they could be complaining about or experiencing, but they were experiencing the goodness of God in their midst. They were encouraged. They were, people were being attracted to that group because there was life-giving things happening. Amen. And my wife and I walked away and said, boy, God is good. Even in the midst of so many things, God is at work. Yes. Another person visited my office and... Uh, Uh, started to say that they'd had an encounter with an EGR, an extra grace required person. Those are the people that typically you're hoping when they're over there, you can get away through the door before they see you, you know? We all have those, right? You know, they're just not the easy people to be with. And when you talk to them, sometimes you think, I don't think we're getting anywhere. If anything, we're going backwards here. doesn't seem like we're making progress. 
So this person had a meeting with this EGR and wanted to minister graciously to them, but they were frankly afraid it was going to turn into a mess. And so they met with this person, and by the providence and sovereignty and goodness of God, in the midst of that meeting, which happened only a few weeks ago, that person, that EGR, came to express faith in Christ. Had not understood the gospel. That person shared the gospel with them, and they said, that's what I need. That's what I want. And responded by faith. Christ Church, that happened here in our building about two weeks ago. It's part of what God is doing in our midst. We have a reason to rejoice. I uh, get to sit with some men that are on the men's ministry. And the men's ministry has gone through a lot of bumps and ups and downs. We've had several leaders over the last year, year and a half. And uh, some people are wondering, well, what's the men's ministry doing? Is that, is that thing dead in the water? And I just want to tell you, there's some men, Mike Davis and others, who are bringing a real depth of wrestling with important questions to the men's ministry. They're saying, you know, we're kind of done with just being busy and doing activities and keeping everybody running around. We want to find a way to have people entering into really strong friendships that are Christ-centered, that bring change, that actually cause people to be different because of having been together for the glory of God and for his kingdom. It's exciting, actually, even though it's all behind the scenes. And I just share that with you because you deserve, you need to be encouraged. You need to know God has not abandoned us. God is faithfully at work in our midst. Good things are happening here. Amen. And it's, it's a blessing for sure. So that's all part of what Timothy got to do. But what about these people that liked having their ears tickled? And that's a tricky group, isn't it? Paul was warned about them. He was told these people don't have an interest in sound doctrine. They don't really care about the truth of God's word. What they want is somebody to tell them what they want to hear. And there were people like that in Ephesus where Timothy was working. And there are people like that all over our world and our culture. You can find all kinds of books. You can go to seminars. You can get on websites and get to blogs and whatever you want to do to get people that will say the things you want to hear. And they maybe make a big deal out of what you want to make a big deal out of and the things you don't care about, they don't care about. And people are racing around to line themselves up with people that are like that, instead of someone that gives him the whole counsel of God's word, the painful parts as well as the encouraging parts. And I must say, you know, I think of, uh, without getting into philosophy here, we have those of us who kind of grew up with modernity, you know, loving the scientific method, things can be proven, truth is factual, and right there I can contain it. And then we have people that have experienced what we call this post-modernity. And postmodernity looks at modernity and says, you have a false confidence in what you know. And modernity looks at postmodernity and says, you guys don't even know what you don't know. And you don't know it. And so there's this thing going back and forth. And actually, there's some truth in both camps. But the reality is what Paul is saying, God, by the Holy Spirit, has spoken truth. And we can know it. We don't know it perfectly. None of us know it perfectly. There's not like we don't have more to grow and learn, but we have a foundation to build our life on because of the goodness of God. So sound doctrine is offered to us in the word of God. But I will say, it's a little more complicated than that too because some of us loving sound doctrine might say, I want to be right and I want to think the right thoughts and if I'm in a conversation, I want to show people how much I know and we might totally be ignoring all the parts of the Bible that talk about loving one another and forgiving one another, and being gracious and long-suffering. And that's another way to have your ears tickled. You can live in this camp where everybody pats themselves on the back about how good their theology is, but you're not loving anybody. You're just condemning and judging. Or you can be in a camp that just loves to love and condemns those people because they think too much. 
Do you see, we, we've got to open ourselves to the whole counsel of God's word and not just hear what we want to hear. So that's a big, uh, important thing for us. So what do you do, Christ Church? The idea is having that eternal view focused on Christ, persevere faithfully in what God has given you to do. And Paul closes this up with a call to endure. Verse 5. But you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. Now right there, Paul could have been throwing a pity party. He's basically saying, I'm in jail and I don't expect to get out. Being poured out like a drink offering was a picture from the Old Testament of his life coming to an end. And him being sacrificed for the plan and purposes of God. And so Timothy might have been wringing his hands and saying, Oh my, I can't believe I'm going to lose Paul. I can't believe the church is going to lose Paul. What are we going to do? And he might have been feeling incredible empathy for Paul. Oh my, it's so horrible. Paul, you're going to die? All these years of faithfully serving God, over 30 years, and it's going to come to this death at the hand of the Romans? But Paul won't leave it there. He's just kind of saying to Timothy, here's the context, Timothy. I'm on my way out. That's why I'm telling you to hang in there. That's why I'm telling you not to drop the baton. But he goes on to say, instead of feeling sorry for me, think about this, Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Don't feel sorry for me, Timothy. And don't worry about me. Because of all the things that matter... God, by his grace, has allowed me to finish. I am a winner, not a loser. I'm in a Roman jail, and they might kill me. But when they do, I will be in the presence of the living God, the King of Kings. It doesn't get any better than that. And so, don't worry about me, Timothy. Don't be fearful and depressed and discouraged. He goes on to say, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord... The righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearance. For everybody who set their heart on desiring Christ's return and Christ's kingdom to come even now. As we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Paul said everybody that tunes himself with that will receive from God that blessing. He does mention the need to keep your heads in all situations, Timothy. And so what's that about? Well, that means even though uh, there's a place for emotion and passion, and very thankfully God has given us artists and other people that are more bent towards that than some of us that are analytical, nonetheless, what he's saying is in crisis, when things are difficult, when things are confusing, when it's time that you feel like quitting, keep your head, Timothy. Focus on what is going to be the outcome and what God is doing. Don't let yourself be carried away by the emotion of the moment, whether it's the sadness or the elation. Keep your head, Timothy, in all situations. A good word for us as a church. We have to keep our head and our focus on Christ and what he's doing. Be grounded. Live reflectively. That'll protect us. And, of course, we're called to endure just as much as he was. Take courage. You know, Paul was an example to Timothy. He finished. So he's saying to Timothy, now you finish. I uh, cut my teeth on uh, getting exposed to missions with a guy named Earl Tigert, who was a retired missionary that lived in Franklin, Pennsylvania. And he invited me when I was 17 years old to go to Brazil for five weeks. And it was a life-changing experience. Uh, He was a guy that just lived his faith 110% all the time. And, you know, I I grew up out here in Beaver County. And uh, I'd gone to church and I'd come to faith in Christ. But I had never been with somebody that was really sold out 24-7. 
He says, Wade, you know, you've got to be prepared to preach, to pray, or to die at a moment's notice. This is how this works. And he had been in Japan after the Second World War finished, bought property over there, built a Bible school, trained up people, sent some of them out as missionaries. Some of them ended in Brazil. So for his retirement, instead of sitting up in the very nice, lovely town of Franklin, Pennsylvania, he went to Brazil to see how those missionaries were doing. Found out, oh, Brazil has a ton of young people. Over 50% of the population under 15. I should come back to western Pennsylvania, rally the troops, get a bunch of young people, and take them down there to do evangelism and to do ministry. And that's what he did in his retirement. There was no slowing this guy down. Until his death, he was serving faithfully in the kingdom. And so I bet you know people that are like that. People that didn't quit. People that kept on being faithful, kept holding on to Christ. Just like Paul was known by Timothy. Hold on to those people who have been an example to you. And press on. Paul also kind of leaves the groundwork for numbering our days. The psalmist tells us that it's wisdom. That's something we should ask God to help us number our days. And I don't know about you. you know, sometimes it's a little scary to number my days. And to think, how much do I have left, really? I took a drive this week past my old neighborhood where I grew up. I hadn't been back there for quite a time. Maybe even a year. I don't know when I was back on that road. But I delivered papers on that road. And I knew everybody in my whole neighborhood. And as I was driving, I was remembering, oh, that's where the Millers lived, and that's where the Smiths lived, and that's where the McCandlesses lived, and almost all those people are gone. Many of them have passed away from when I was a 12-year-old paper boy. And it was like just this awareness of the shortness of life and how quickly we pass. And it could be very discouraging, but actually it reminded me, I want to do those things that will last. This stuff is passing away. This neighborhood can't be kept the same. But there's a way to live so that you're investing your things with Christ so nothing can shake it or take it away. And that's what we want to do. We want to focus on him. We want to persevere in faithfulness and we want to endure until the end. Don't quit, Christ Church. Don't quit in being faithful and serving God. We're about to celebrate communion. It's a wonderful thing. And you might say, Pastor, I don't know how I can pull this off. I don't know about being faithful. I'm so tired. I'm so finished. And here's the thing that we remember when we do communion. It isn't about doing it on your own. The invitation is, in fact, the command is to understand what it really means that Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And as we celebrate communion, we remember, oh yes, it's about him, it's not about us. He is able. I might say to you, the only hope you have of not being a quitter is in Christ. But I'll tell you something else. There's no better hope than in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for just your gracious work on our behalf. And Father, we acknowledge that sometimes life is discouraging and difficult. There are times we are tempted to quit. And I pray that you would lift our heads. We want to see Jesus. We need to see Jesus. I pray that you would give us the strength and the fortitude to persevere, to endure Whether it's easy or pleasant or hard or difficult, may we serve you faithfully. And Father, I thank you for this promise that you will reward every act of faithfulness done for your kingdom. And that Jesus is coming. May we long and look for that day more than anything. We just make that our prayer in his name. Amen.